What's up? What's up? What's up? How's everybody doing out there? You are now listening to the YFYI podcast. I'm your host, Sonny D, back in the saddle, ready for another episode. And this episode is the money episode. Cha-ching, cha-ching. You heard it right. The money episode. Something that I do periodically to talk about, dive into, discuss financial, economics, money topics. So if you're just joining the podcast, if this is your first time listening, welcome to the YFYI podcast. Coming to you each and every week, your first year in. Whether it's your first year in the beauty industry, it's your first year in salon ownership, another topic that's become a central point here lately. It's your first year in whatever your first year in. This is a place where you can come get your money right, get your mind right, get your head right, get a little checkup from the neck up, hear what's going on in my world and how I'm viewing things and seeing things. So welcome to the community. If you're a repeat listener, you know the drill. Put your seatbelt on, keep your hands inside of the vehicle because we are about to go for a ride. I started doing these money episodes a while ago because there were some, you know, kind of interesting things that I was discovering. You know, and, and as I was discovering those things, I said, well, you know what? I want to start sharing. So I think in all of the YFY podcasts, I think this would be the 11th installment out of 130, going to be 35 podcasts, 11 installments of the money episode versus the regular topics that I discuss on the podcast. So with that being said, the money episode you're definitely going to want to you know, get ready, take some notes if you can. If you're driving, maybe you can't. You maybe need to come back and listen to this. But the topic that I want to talk about today definitely affects my companies in a big way and probably a lot of the listeners. And I dove into a little bit of the money you know, in my first book, YFY, for stylists, your first year in the beauty industry. There's a whole chapter on money. You know, there was a whole chapter, it was called Show Me the Money. And then in my second book that came out earlier this year, YFY, Salon Ownership, your first year in owning, you know, being a salon owner, I I mean a lot, I mean the majority of that book had to do with different things connected to your business, which is a big piece of it is the financing, the economy of your business. You know, so as I was thinking about what I wanted to cover for this episode of the money episode, there was something that, you know, it's kind of been on my mind. I mean, since I went to beauty school now, I graduated in 2005. So that's been a hot minute, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13. I guess November, a couple of months from now will be 14. I graduated in November 2005, so like 14 years coming up on. Some of you may have graduated even a lot longer Uh, ago than that. Some of you may not even have graduated yet. Some of you may be, you know, a lot, you know, just recently graduated. But education, as important as it is, and as important as, you know, that experience is, especially in our industry, if you're in the beauty industry, you need to get a license. Therefore, you have to go to school, you have to get training. You want to get the best training that you can to hopefully set you up to be able to come into the beauty industry and have the best opportunity to be successful. You know, and I chose when I decided to go, I went to a Paul Mitchell school. I know a lot of our listeners went to Paul Mitchell schools. Some of my stylists in our company did not go to Paul Mitchell schools. I mean, they went to just any, you know, ABC hair school. We've got people that went to like the Erojo Academy in New York. We've got people that went to uh, Aveda. You know, so there's a lot of different, you know, there's schools that are tied to big brands and then there's not, you know, and there's a lot of different ways to do it, but you've got to do it and you've got to be able to, you know, go through that school so you can get your training, so you can take your state board, get your license because we are professionally licensed 
you know, cosmetologist. So you have to go to school. So that's a big decision you have to make. And a big decision, you know, that depends a lot on, you know, financing. And so I want to talk about, you know, education and finance. And really the topic for today is going to be the student debt. Now, when you look at student debt, and if you have any, you know, I'm sure it's it's burning, you know, a little hole in the back of your brain. You know, you've got to, you know, pay it generally. I mean, student debt, student loans, it's, you can't even get out. I mean, the only way you get out of it without paying it is you die. You know, there's very, it's almost, you know, take an act of Congress literally to get forgiven. You can't declare bankruptcy on it. It will follow you through your entire life. And a lot of us have to incur some, you know, form of, you know, debt or student debt or, you know, loans if we take federal money, you know, which is the big one, to be able to make our dream of becoming a hairdresser happen. Just like a lot of people in traditional education, if you're going to, you know, four-year degree, if you're going to a, you know, trade school, for-profit school, non-for-profit school, post-secondary, whatever your training is, trade school, you know, it's going to cost money, right? And that's where, you know, that's where it starts. And that becomes a big decision for a lot of people. You know, I know me being so naive when I started my journey going into, you know, Paul Mitchell, I had no clue even like how much, you know, the tuition was. I'm thinking, I'm thinking it's hair school. It can't be nothing crazy. So I'm like, all right, I'm, you know, I roll down, I'm in North Carolina. I roll down to Florida, show up at the school. Even when I got there, I didn't even know how much it was. Took the tour, didn't even know how much it was. Literally show up on day one, find out on day one how much it is. And I'm like, as I sat there, I remember, you know, I was in the financial aid, a lady's office and she was telling me, you know, and she said that word and tuition and showed me that number I was like are you out of your in my head I'm just thinking you know lady are you out of your damn mind like there's no way I don't know what you're trying to sell me you know I joke around a lot about you know she tried to sell me a car because the number she wrote down and the word she said didn't line up only time I seen a number that big is if I was trying to buy a new car you know so I'm like looking at that number sweating through Every layer of clothes I'm wearing, thinking, how the hell did I get into this position? You know, we're talking commas and zeros and, you know, two numbers in front of the comma. So it was like I was in way over my head and I had no idea how I was going to, you know, figure that out. And after the first week, I went back and met with her and, you know, she was asking about getting co-signers. You know, do you have anybody that's going to co-sign? I'm like, I, I got no, I got nobody. Um, you're looking at what I got. My bank account is is slim. You know, I just had moved down there and got a little job at a restaurant. You know, I had a raggedy car, you know, you know, trying to afford and some bills and I found a roommate and so I was really like barely breaking even every single month that was going to be coming in front of me and then she wanted to tack on you know this, you know, astronomical amount of money for tuition. I'm like, "Uh-uh." So through some of her own ninjaing and financial engineering, I was able to get a little bit of student loan money, but the majority of it came out of pocket, and uh, it was a lot. I mean, I remember that payment being, you know, just about as much as all of my bills, my car. It's like it was like the same, you know. It was like, in in some some instances, it was even more. My bill that I had to pay for school was more than what my you know, bills and, um, you know, car and all that kind of stuff was rent. So I'm thinking, how the hell am I supposed to be able to afford, you know, this, Uh, this is like, almost going to be, if not pretty much is impossible. And so as I started my journey, you know, through school, I had that big monkey on my back. And for those of you, if you've taken out any, you know, significant amount of loan uh, money, you feel my pain. You know what I'm talking about. And it's a big number. And depending on the school you go to. Now, you know, I wanted to go to the Paul Mitchell school because, you know, the prestige of, of the name of Paul Mitchell and 
I was inspired by, you know, my mentor at a hair show. And that's how I even found out that Paul Mitchell, you know, had hair schools and all of that through my mentor. So, you know, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to follow, you know, in, in his footsteps and be able to be a part of the company he was a part of. So naturally, naturally, I'm like, well, that's where I want to go. So that's where I started, you know, and it was, it was from an honest position, but having no clue, like what I was getting myself into, you know, when it came to the pricing and when it came to how am I going to finance this thing when it came to any of that. And so as I, you know, as I began with that monkey on my back, you know, I was pretty scared. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to pull this off. You know, like I'm sure, you know, some of you are. If you're in that position right now, you know, the biggest thing you're thinking about is, you know, I need this I need this uh, journey through hair school, this amount of debt that I'm like accumulating right now to really like pay off, right? You don't want to like mess around and end up leaving, you know, school with all that debt and not have like the income that says, okay, you're going to be able to make this work. And you're going to be able to pay this off. I know that's how I felt. I was like, if I'm going to be paying this damn much for school, you know, this thing needs to work. There can not be any options. And a lot of people, you know, as they're graduating, then it's like getting that job, making enough money to be able to afford, you know, A, to pay all your bills, but then you also have that student debt. I, you know, I know you get like a little bit of time, you know, once you graduate. But that loan payment starts kicking in, you know, relatively quickly. And you got to pay that off. And, you know, five, ten years, you know, depends on how big of a loan that you took, how much you're going to need to pay. And, you know, I've been, you know, looking at this topic, especially when it comes to, you know, our industry. You know, if you're going to school, obviously you need to. But when it comes to our industry, predominantly being made up of women, I found some interesting statistics and I wanted to share those with you and kind of share with you, you know, where we're at as a country. You know, the big uh, thing this past week was the 10-year anniversary of the financial crisis in 2008 when the housing bubble popped. You know, the, the thought at the time from 6, 7, 8, and as it ramped up in the, from the early 2000s, it was like house, housing prices are going to keep going up. Everybody can be rich. Everybody can buy a house. All of a sudden, you know, banks are doing these, these shady kind of practices, these loans. They're giving everybody who can, you know, figure out how to sign their name on the dotted line a loan. Whether they're qualified or not, who cares? So people with making $1,500 a month are buying two hundred, three hundred thousand dollar houses, and they have these little teaser rates where you know your your beginning of your loan, the first <clears throat> so many months, the the uh, the payments super low, and then they they were called adjustable rate mortgages or ARMS, A R M, and then all of the sudden, when that teaser rate expired, and the real payment kicked in and it ballooned up, you know, so you went from, you know, hundred, we'll just say $150 payment a month to $450 payment a month. Now that's more than, you know, a third of your income. Then it's like, uh-oh, and then you end up upside down. But in the process, because the value kept going up of your house, you've now already, as soon as you bought your house, you've taken out a loan against your house because when you bought it for, you know, 200000 with that teaser payment, you couldn't afford when it was going to balloon up, which you didn't know because you weren't educated on it. And the loan, the person writing you, the bank was like, oh, don't worry. It's going to be great. The value is going to keep going up. So then you turn around and you got a loan. You got a proof for an equity, home equity loan. So you were able to take a loan against your house whose price was supposed to keep going up. So now if your house was 200000 in a year, now it's worth two You're taking an equity home equity loan against that 250 and then that just kept happening over and over and some people are buying boats cars with that equity loan some people are buying more houses so all of a sudden this massive bubble starts ballooning 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 
And then slowly but surely, you know, people had started defaulting, couldn't afford it, couldn't afford it, you know, couldn't afford it. And when that started happening, it started unwinding through, you know, late 2006, seven, and then eight, it all came kind of to a crash, uh, September of 2008. You know, we had banks, Lehman Brothers was a huge investment bank, had to file bankruptcy. Uh, the, that's when the federal government jumps in and forces all the remaining banks, whether they're in trouble or not, to take a huge amount of loan from the federal government to fix and stimulus, create a stimulus uh, for the economy. You know, why give it to them, right? They're the ones that screwed it up in the first place. And that's what how the, you know, the sentiment of a lot of Americans, that's how people felt. But <clears throat> if you had a bunch of doctors that, you know, created some kind of, you know, virus and you could give them uh, unlimited resources and tools to create an antidote or you had the ability to come up with unlimited resources and tools to create an antidote. Who would you want to give the unlimited resources and tools to? Yeah, the doctors created the virus, but they're also the mo ones most likely going to be able to come up with the antidote to fix it. And so they were forced, you know, to take, we're talking, I think it was 800, 700 plus, you know, billion dollar, you know, bailout. And then the taxpayers, you know, are like kind of on the hook for that. But through the turnaround process, those banks took the money and supposedly, you know, were, you know, their, their mission was to, you know, A, make sure they're funded, B, make sure they're, you know, uh, using it in, in a, a righteous way to stimulate the economy and get it into the markets so it can yield return. So use it smartly. So that's kind of what was forced to have happened when that bubble burst. We, you know, as a country, you know, when you think about that, we bailed ourselves out. Nobody, nobody bailed us out. We bailed ourselves out. Can we keep on doing something like that? I mean, there's a lot of research out there, guys. And, you know, in 2008, I was just getting my business idea going and landing my salon. And so I kind of was so oblivious to what was going on. You know, and this whole entire economy is coming, being brought to its knees. I mean, I heard one of the people that were is, was involved at the high level, Hank Paulson, was the Secretary of Treasury. You know, he's over all the money for the U.S. He said that, you know, we, we were basically about three days away from ATM machines not working. Could you imagine... You go and maybe you got a lot, maybe you got a little, but you go to your ATM machine and you cannot get your money. Then you knock on your door of your bank and they're closed. What do you think could have happened? It would have been like, you know, anarchy. I mean, he was saying it would have been like people would have been waiting in bread lines, you know, for handouts, for food. That's like how bad it could have been. And that's how close we got. You know, getting getting fat, getting high off our own supply. And so when you look at bubbles, you know, this happens over and over and over if you start to look at the history. And, you know, if you're if you're around in 2008, like me, I was naive, didn't really know. I was just a part of the, you know, economy. I didn't know what was, you know, what was going on, what had been going on. You know, I'm still trying to understand it now. You know, 10 years later, watching documentaries, reading books, under, trying to understand it. Because it's inevitable that some form of a bubble is is brewing and some form of a financial crisis will happen again. History shows that it happens. You know, and it can happen every 10 years. It can, I mean, it has happened consistently since the big crash in 1929. And, you know, so what vulnerabilities do we have? And I think one of the big ones that I, I'm seeing is student debt. Because right now, and this is as of, you know, an article that I was reading. And this was on, uh, on the internet. I was reading, it was talking about student loan debt. And this is like June 2018. Student loan debt just hit 
trillion dollars. 1.5 trillion. That's not, that's trillion with a T. Who even, like the concept of a trillion. The concept of a trillion is like foreign to most. But student loan debt just hit 1.5 trillion. Now, student loan debt, we're not talking just, you know, private, you know, for profit. We're talking just on overall, you know, student loan debt hits 1.5 trillion. And here's the thing. Women actually hold most of the debt. So when you think about four in 10 people go to college, they take out some kind of loans to pay for their school. But, you know, women are holding nearly two thirds of all the debt in the U.S., so there's a um, there's a report, and you guys d- should definitely look into it from an organization that I've been doing some research on. Um, it's called the American Association of University Women, AAUW. You can check them out, aauw.org. And it goes into some of the particulars, which I want to share with you guys. You know, the, one of the reasons why do women hold so much more? Because they represent 56% of students. Enrolled, and this is as of you know the fall of 2016. So they hold a lot more. They're heavily, more heavily enrolled. More women take out loans, and when they do, they borrow more money. The average woman owes two thousand seven hundred forty dollars more. The average woman owes two thousand seven hundred forty dollars more than a man finishing up her bachelor's degree. And women also, they're repaying their debt more slowly, which means that they're paying more interest over time. You know, and this also will tie into the gap in wages. You know, between a man and a woman, typically they're in the same role. They could make up to 40% less than their counterpart. You know, so when I look at our industry, the beauty industry, being made up of predominantly by women, but our industry also being made up of, you know, you do need to go to school, you need to get your your degree, you know, so you can become a licensed cosmetologist. And how do we fit into this picture? How do we, what do we do, number one? And how do we, you know, resurrect or, or reverse this kind of what I see as almost like another bubble brewing. Because the more the price goes up, and when you see price go up of schools and you don't see wages go up accordingly, and I'll share some statistics over that over time, you know, you're creating you're creating a bubble of debt right there. You know, just like with that that housing bubble, how it was created. We saw incomes were not really rising, but the value of the house supposedly was rising. The cost of the house was rising. Therefore, the loans and the debts were getting bigger and bigger and bigger. But Johnny that and Sally, they were making a total combined income of, you know, three thousand dollars a month. Which, you know, if you if you think about that, they're below. I mean, poverty level. And then they're getting approved for this huge loan on this small payment that's going to turn into a huge payment that they're not going to be able to afford, but supposedly the price of their house is going up, right? But so is the the cost of their payment going up, but their wages aren't moving up like that. You know, it's creating a bubble. So, you know, this uh, this is a, a milestone. You know, Americans owe $1.5 trillion in student loans. We just hit this milestone in the first quarter of 2018, and this is according to some Federal Reserve data. Outstanding student debt currently exceeds auto loan debt. So auto loan debt and credit card debt, those two, you've got 1.1 trillion auto loan debt and credit card debt you got at 977 billion. And then you got student loan debt. 1.5 trillion, trillion. So 42% of people have gone to college, took out debt, right? A majority of them are taking out student loans. And then 30% had some other form of debt like credit card debt, home equity line of credit, 
according to a Federal Reserve report based on a 2017 survey. So when you think about that, the average new grad <clears throat> owes $28,400. Now, if you're not going to college for a bachelor's degree, you may be owning less. But on average, the people that finished with a bachelor's degree in 2016 with debt, the average amount was $28,400, according to the college board. That's up from $22,000 in 2001. So fast forward, you know, 2016, you'll look at where how much it's inflated, right? 20% of borrowers are, are behind on payments. So you have people that never finished their degree, and they're going to be obviously going to be more likely to have trouble keeping up with their payments. And then you have 11% who completed a bachelor's degree were behind, and 5% who had a graduate degree had fallen behind. So what happens, right? You graduate and a lot of times it's, we're getting sold, right? We're getting sold on how important it is, get the education, how important it is to, I mean, get the education, how important it is to um, go to college and all of those things. And, and like I said, I mean, you know, there's certain things you need to, you know, in our industry is something, you know, we need to go to school, Right now, it's like it's a requirement. You have to go to school to get your training so you can be able to get your license. So what do we do? How do we how do we avoid that? You know, and just thinking about some of the statistics that I stumbled across and bringing this to your attention, like, and a couple ideas that I have I'll share with you. But when you think about, you know, student loans and think about that $1.5 trillion, you think about how we got here. If you look back from 1970 and you track all the way through, um, some of these, you know, these statistics are going to be have been tracked through uh, 2014. And in 1970, the amount of you know people undergraduate enrollment at U.S. colleges and universities, right, from 1970 to 2014. So you the four-year public universities. Enrollment, you know, was 3.4, a little over like 3.4 million back in 1970. And over the time of 70 to 2014, we're talking 6.8. So almost, not quite, but almost doubled, right? Which is great. I mean, you have more people enrolled from 1970, and that's in four-year public universities. You also have community colleges went from, you know, 2.1 to 6.3, you know, enrolled. You've got the private non-for-profit colleges and universities had the least amount of growth, went from 1.7 to 2.7 from 1970 to uh, 2014. And then you've got for-profit colleges and universities. Went from 18,000 in 1970 to 1 1.2 million in 2014. That's huge. So a lot of money to be made, right? For-profit colleges and universities have definitely taken off, and that's where we fit into. You know, in our industry, that's where we're fitting into. So now you have this, this huge enrollment growth growing. You also have, you know, from that time of in the 70s, the gender uh, growing. So we've got way more, you know, women from the 70, fall of 76, 40%. You know, and this is kind of the gender breakdown. So 40% of our enrollment in colleges and universities, 40% were uh, white women. You had, you know, 5% were black women. You had Hispanic women, around 2%. Asian women, you know, like 1%. Then you had 45% were white men. You had... Four uh, percent black men, two percent Hispanic, Asian, you know, American Indian men, you know, one percent or less. 
And then when you fast forward and you look at the fall of 2014, the white men has shrunk down to about 26% of enrolled. You know, 5% you're looking at for black men, which has grown a little bit. Hispanic has grown quite a bit, went from 2% to 7%. And then Asian and all other, you know, grew slightly at 3 and 2%. Now, the women's enrollment got a little bit more diversified, but grew overall. It's the bigger majority of the pie. 32% white women, 9% black women. So that grew quite a bit. Hispanic women, 10%. And then 3% and 3% for Asian and all other. So you're seeing the amount of women enrollment is growing. You're seeing the overall enrollment has grown quite a bit. Now, the thing that grew the most was the price. The cost of the tuition from 76 to 2014. The cost of attendance. And these statistics, statistics I'm going to share with you are going to be the cost of attendance versus the median income. So you can see the cost of attendance and the median income definitely haven't grown together. So as it's gotten, and this is how a bubble is created, right? As it's gotten more and more expensive to go to pay for something, but your, you know, income isn't, you know, rising, you know, the the inflation, if you will, of the product cost is what's putting, is, which, is what's creating this debt bubble. And that's how we get to 1.5 trillion. In 1976, the median income, right, is at $47,000, $47,281. Now, the cost of attendance at that time is at, you know, $8,911. And over time, fast forward, you know, 30 years later, rolling into 2014, we're talking... $52,850. That's the new median income. So it's only gone up by what? Five, you know, maybe five grand over, you know, 40 years. Five grand over 40 years. Get this though. The income, the cost of attendance, the income goes up over five grand. The cost of attendance, $8,911 and 76 by 2014 the cost of attendance has risen up to $21,000 a little over 21,000 so think about that when you look at one you know increasing by i mean a small percentage i'm not even sure what what that percentage would be you know but one increasing by a very small percentage you know, really not changing at all. I mean, truth be told, it's not really moving up much. The other ones almost, you know, double, almost tripling in price. So how is that, how is, how are those numbers going to work out in anyone's favor? So what do we do, right? When you're, when you're seeing that, well, we create programs. So the program, student loan programs, that got introduced in the 1960s, and now that's the common strategy for financing college. You know, and most of the loans are either guaranteed by the federal government, or you know, more recently, um, you know, the, they're made directly by the Department of Education, and then there are, of course, private loans. Federal and private loans, you know, are they have certain laws that are governing them and make it almost impossible to discharge and you know, through bankruptcy. So you're getting these loans and that's where you see the growth, I think, of the for-profit, especially in the for-profit, how you saw the uh, the increase, the huge increase in enrollment, you know, from for-profit from 1970 to 2014. Yeah, because, I mean, why not? Our, the money is going to be guaranteed. So if I'm a for-profit school and I can get federal money, that money is guaranteed. I'm almost like sitting in a situation where 
it's a um, it's a win-win for me no matter what whether that student pays or not my money's guaranteed I should be getting paid this contributes to that bubble and this contributes you know to that 1.5 trillion dollars so what happens when the government says hey you know what we can't afford to guarantee or even offer these programs anymore does that money ever dry up and if that money ever does dry up then are people not able to get access to the education and that education that they need or do they make you know doctors or whoever lawyers or or for us cosmetologists not require a license then what you got anybody that can pick up a pair of scissors or a color brush just doing hair i mean the the kind of i mean there's no oversight no regulation so how do we you know how do we get out of it you know for one i think one of the big things and one of the big um things that i'm thinking of and i'm thinking about is in my own company is you know because we have a lot of females right so females, they're sitting there with debt. The majority of them are sitting there with debt. So increase in income, making income, you know, connected somehow to that student loan um, program. You know, so I know there's been regulations and there's been, you know, there's been uh, some opposition and some people for it where they're saying, hey, listen, if you're going to charge this much for your product, then that student needs to be able to make, you know, so much for in that field for the price that they're paying. So they have an opportunity to be successful with repaying their loan and just be successful, period. You know, and how can we make one of the other things I think about is how can we make the education more affordable? You know, what is the true cost of it? You know, how we're delivering the education, how can we make it, whether could it be online? Could it be, you know, some kind of standardization across the board? Could it be, you know, what's what's the incentive? I mean, if you're in a for-profit business and your, you know, your product is education, are you consistently trying to drive the price up? What's the oversight? How can we guarantee? Because if so many people are getting out, a lot of people aren't either getting jobs in their field, they're not able to get a job with making enough money to repay their loan. There's definitely a problem there. And then you move into our industry and the majority of them are women. And I'm meeting, I'm meeting, you know, women all the time that went to hair school and are working in the hospital or the office here or there. Like what's going on here? This is something that we really need to think about. You know, so when you think about the, the government, you know, we don't want the government to be involved too much, but we ne might need to make sure that if the government is supposedly funding this bubble, then they're, they're, I mean, they're directly related and connected to the problem. You know, so how do you have a, a qualified institution making sure that A, the education is there, B, there, there's no, you know, predatory lending kind of situation or predatory um, tactics going on because you don't want to end up with, you know, somebody that opens up a school and is like, well, I'm going to open a school because, I mean, if I get federal, you know, financial aid and federal money, it's guaranteed that I'm going to get as many people as I can in here so I can get the government money so I can get fat off of it. And then they, they forget their product, they forget what their purpose is, and then it becomes a matter of just a numbers game where they just enroll as many people as possible, get as much profit as possible, who cares about the product, and then we're putting more and more people into debt. The bubble's getting bigger until at some point, guys, just like with the housing market, you can only loan so much, right? And then the government, what's the government going to do? Is it going to be a bailout? Is the government going to have to bail out the government? <laughs> I mean, are they going to have to bail out the student, you know, the student that's, you know, saddled? Or all of a sudden they're going to just forgive it all? 
like wipe, wipe the slate clean. You know, and meanwhile, you have all these people out there and if they got great education, that's awesome. If they didn't get great education, now you got all these pissed people out there with all this debt on their back trying to figure out like what's going on. The system is broken somewhere. So when students start defaulting, you know, on their loan, it's their fault. And I don't know if it is their fault. You know, and that's one thing, you know, we got to take a closer look at. Is it their fault? Why did they default? Is it really their fault? You know, were they trained properly? Is Are the jobs not there? Are we creating a, a, um, a product that's not needed, right? If you start graduating, you know, 20, 30,000 doctors at a time, but there's no need for doctors or you start graduating, you know, 20, 30,000 hairstylists at a time, but there's no need for it. So is there a need? And what is the issue if there is a need that we have so many people that are defaulting and not able to pay their loan? And why is the income and the price of the product nowhere even relatively close? If there's such a need, the income should be going up. If the product is a product, the product just got that much better, the product got three times better, but the person didn't. The person's, you know, income didn't barely move up, but the product got so incredibly in demand, something doesn't work. You know, so these are some of the things that the organization that I'm, you know, looking into and <clears throat> I've been doing research, these are some of the things that they're talking about bringing this conversation to light, you know, and how do you as a, as a student or you as an, a business owner, as a company, how can you kind of get involved? Number one, if you have an education company, if you have a school, you know, seeing like, what are the, what are, and you're a for-profit school. Okay. I get it. You're going to make a profit, but what are truly, what are the margins? How much is the product? And making sure that that product gets the result, which is a successfully, both successful in the field and successful in financial successful, uh, successful graduate, that they're able to afford and pay. Now, that's you as the, as the you know, education side of it. And then you as the business owner, right? You have to think about it. I mean, I, I know when I go by salons, I see some of these salons that are charging $6 for a haircut. Now, let me just, let's just be realistic here. Say, do you go to a top <clears throat> rated, you know, top branded school? Costs you 20 grand for your education. <clears throat> just do some basic math here, guys. Costs you 20 grand for your education. So when you, by the time you graduate, we'll just say, you didn't take out the full 20 grand. Maybe you took out, I don't know, we'll just say, you know, 10 grand for your, your loan. So you owe 10 grand, right? Now, if you're doing $6 haircuts, you're doing $6 haircuts, there's no way. I mean, how many are you going to do a day? 20? How many, and, and how many days are you going to work a week? Five days a week? You know, so, I mean, I don't know, you're generating 600 bucks for your, you know, your $6 haircuts in a week. <clears throat> and then you're doing that, you know, 50, we'll just say in four weeks. So you're doing, you're doing $2,400 in service. So we're not even talking about your pay yet, right? And then you can times that by 12 months. So you're generating $28,800 a year doing $6 haircuts. We'll just say half of that goes in your pocket. That's $14,400 a year, right? And then when you take out your expenses, I mean, it's probably going to cost you, you know, you're not even, you can't even live. There's no way the math, and then you got to pay back a $20,000 loan. So 
the business owners out there, you know, how does that math work? You can charge what you charge, but if you're charging, you know, six bucks for a haircut, there's nobody that, and, and you have a stylist that are working there. And I see these places I seen yesterday, 1475, you know, for a haircut, you know, 16, $16 and 75 cents for a haircut. And then you have these, <clears throat> and these are some of the big chain, you know, salons. And then you have these students coming out and they're paying top dollar for this education. These are the jobs that are available. I mean, how are you expecting they're going to be in debt? A, they're going to, A, they're probably going to quit because when they get out and they find out, oh, these are all the jobs <clears throat> that are out there and all these salons and they're like discount haircutters the few companies that you know are charging what i would call appropriately you know they're far and few between private companies like my company you know we have so many salons but still i mean it's a matter of you know having when people come out you know they're training they're going through the process they're trying to build up their income they're making a hell of a lot money, more money than the $6 haircut person, but still are they making that money relative and especially in that first couple of years to the amount of money that they owe to where it doesn't become too much pressure to where they're either like, I'm going to quit, do a second job, or this isn't going to work out. Because you have to think about it, that first year, that second year when people are just building their income. They need to be able to still afford to live. And we don't make any promises in our company. Like we let people know, you know, your first year, I mean, it is going to be, you know, peanuts. So just live within your means. But if you're coming out staring at this, you know, this debt on top of your regular bills, on top of any, if you had any other student debt, it becomes a serious problem. So working together, so the salons and the schools, I think in our industry, they really need to work together. You know, what can we afford? You know, if I had a school, one of the big things would be that, you know, none of the students would graduate. Imagine this, and I don't know, I haven't figured it out. And that's, I'm just kind of, you know, brainstorming out loud here. But looking at some of these numbers, I'm thinking, man, if we could get, you got to think about taking the pressure off because the pressure then if you have debt, you know, people are scared of debt anyway, but if they have debt, they got student debt, the pressure is there. So if we could get people to graduate with no debt, what kind of position would they be in with no student debt? I'm not going to say no debt because they might have credit cards or whatever else they have, but if we can get people to a position where they graduate school with no debt, what kind of position are they in? They're not in that high-pressure situation where they're like, oh, if I don't make X amount of dollars right away, then I got to do something else or they quit. So then that puts the salons in a, in a better spot too because they don't have that person coming in. And when they see like, okay, there's a career path, you want to make $100,000 a year. I appreciate that. It's going to take us you know, four to five years to get you to that point. But they've got so much debt. They need it to happen in one to two. And when it doesn't, or they think it's going to happen in one to two. And when it doesn't, they're like ready to throw in the towel. That's a, that's a lose-lose. Salon loses people left and right. You know, And then what happens over time, that person, then they go into another career and then they might be getting some more student debt if they can't even get some more you know so it never stops so the government there's three people involved here you got the student you got the government you got the you know the educational institution right just like in the housing bubble you had three people involved you had the government you had the the bankers or the lenders and you had the borrowers if those three people aren't working in 
synchronization, knowing what the outcome is. The government guaranteeing, you know, the loans, what's the, their, the benefit for them to do that is we, you know, we believe in, you know, the education of our future generation to become productive members of society. The educational institution signing up and receiving that federal money they need to be held responsible. We're going to use this, you know, money, you know, to the best of our ability. Make sure we have qualified students coming in. We're putting out the best product of education that we can so these people can then become productive members of our society. The student coming in, they're like, "Well, I really want great education. I may not be able to afford it, but if I can afford you know, some and get some help from the government who believes in me and this institution that's going to give me a great education, get me prepared to go out and become a productive member of society. I'll be able to honor my obligations. So everybody's thinking that or should be thinking that. But some of the numbers don't say that. So who do you know, if it's not you, if it's somebody that you know, um, that you that is in a situation like this, you know, maybe look into an organization like this and and take a look. I mean, what if I mean some of the, the programs that are in you know are in the works, some of the things that the American Association of University Women definitely you want to check them out, see what some of their, their things that they're working on are, some of the topics that they're working on are. You know, think about what some of the recommendations could be. You know, looking at the enrollment numbers, looking at, you know, what the real impact is. If we, what if we were adjusting either federal money or we're adjusting tuitions? And then me as an employer looking at how, you know, I'm looking at income, you know, equality overall. There's nobody in our company that is going to be paid more as a starting wage because of their gender. That's a huge thing. All companies need to be looking at that. Because if you go through the same school, the same training, we don't lower the bar, raise, you know, it's the same process. You get the same opportunity. And I'll tell you right now, actually in our company, you know, most it is majority of its females and you know, depending on where they're at in their career path, that's where their income's at. It's not if they're a boy, if they're a girl, anything like that. So looking at, you know, that, what could the government do? What the repayment schedule looks like? What could the government do, you know, with that? What could the schools do to be able to have a a program to know, hey, this is the plan for your finances as you're going through school. <clears throat> the tuition, the cost of ad admission, you know, knowing where that person's at. Do they work when they come to your school? Do they have a job? What's their ability to repay? You know, before we just enroll them because they can get financial aid and it's guaranteed, we have to be more responsible. And then after college, after they finish their program, after they get their degree, you know, what's the follow-up? Is there a way? I don't know. I'm all ears, guys. Think about it. Is there a way we can get a student from the beginning of their school to the end of their school where they're graduating with little to no debt? That would be an amazing one. And looking at other ways that we can benefit, you know, the students that are in there. I mean, some especially like you have moms that go to school that becomes a burden with, you know, having that income that they're not getting because they're not working, they have kids, if they don't have you know a spouse or a second income going on, then they have to afford school. Then they're even under more pressure if they come out of school and have to get, you know, think about it. If you're a single mom, you graduate school and you got student loan debt, you got kids, you got bills, you got real financial obligations. And then you get a job and you're not making any money in comparison with how much money it costs you to get trained. That's not going to work. So that's where the salons and the you know the schools in our industry could come together. The employers, <clears throat> the educational institutions could come together. Working with the government, it's not all anti-government. 
but it's how can we work because we don't want the debt to go up because I'm telling you it's as that bubble keeps bursting somebody's got to give and the government comes in and says hey you know what we've been given giving and given we got to pull back right cuz there it's too much 1.5 trillion is a lot of money guys it's too much so we can't afford to give any more money. Now institutions are closing left and right. Now we will have a shortage of qualified professionals that are out there. So it's a lot. There's a lot to take in. It's a lot of information. You know, I've just been beginning this journey, looking at it and thinking of different ways that we as a company can get involved, looking at organizations, you know, like <clears throat> like the AAUW. The AAUW has been around since 1881, so you know I'm looking at them and looking at what, and they're not, you know, they're it's a non it's a nonpartisan, you know, group. I mean, their admission, their mission really for them is is to advance the gender equity for women and girls through research, education, and advocacy. So I definitely recommend check them out. Um, their vision is equity for all. They're nonpartisan. They're not you know, for, against, this or that, doesn't matter, red or blue. It's about facts. It's about integrity. It's about inclusion and intersectionality, you know, so figuring out that. And so definitely, I mean, I've been learning a lot about, you know, their organization and I want to get more involved in it. But a huge topic that affects us, especially in our industry, being predominantly women, you know, and knowing that the student debt has hit all-time highs, it's the it's the biggest kind of on really there's not that many people talking about it i don't know if they're just thinking well you know as long as the government's printing money we're good because eventually you know somebody's maybe asleep at the wheel but they're gonna wake up so we need to do what we can do to make sure our people are stronger armed with knowledge and information on this we're doing everything we can do to prevent this bubble from getting bigger because it, the ripple, one ripple could, it could, it could uh, upend an industry. You just think about it. If I mean, it's, and even from a government perspective, if you're, if I have a school that's, you know, we'll just say 80, 90% of my students are on financial aid and, and the financial aid program gets, you know, shut down because it's just like, all right, now it's 2 trillion and they're like, all right, boom. Like you, it's like takes, you know, there's like no one's getting approved for financial aid anymore. And then my business just went out of business. Right, and then if you have a salon and you're dependent, so we're all connected. We're all in this together. Nobody wins. It's not like a you know one you guys can win and then someone. It's not you know we all we're all gonna win together or all gonna lose together. And if we study things like the financial crisis in 2008 and like learn like what how to bubble how are bubbles created, what can we do to prevent them? How do we control cost and inflation when we don't need to? You know, how do we work together? Maybe we can do something about this to help the ever-growing bubble that I see as the uh, the next big thing, the 1.5 trillion in student debt. So I know this is a lot of information, guys, a lot of statistics. I will be doing a follow-up on this, be talking more about this. Love to hear your thoughts, your comments. Love to hear where you're at. If you're, you know, in a situation right now where, you know, you have, you know, student debt, you know, or you know somebody that does, share this podcast with them. Share the the group. It's AAUW. Their website is aauw.org. Learn more about them. Uh, learn more about your own financial situation. What is your repayment plan? Work with your school. Find out if your school has any, you know, resources that maybe you don't know about or in your community that you're not tapped into. Let's let's talk more about this. Let's keep this conversation going because this is something that we definitely just cannot ignore. So this is a YFYI serious money episode. And I hope you guys enjoyed. Thanks for listening. Make sure you leave a review, a comment, a share, a like on the podcast. If you're on Apple, you on the podcast, you know, app, you go to the podcast, you go, you leave a review. Hopefully it's a five-star rating. You leave a beautiful review. And for that, you're getting exclusive YFYI, iHeart YFYI t-shirts. Those go out for our reviews. If you haven't picked up any, uh, a copy of my new book, YFYI for Salon Owners, or my first book, YFYI for Stylist, 
You can get those both at yourfirstyearin.com. Just go to yourfirstyearin.com. I've also got, if you have a group or organization, I've got you know packages where you can get more access depending on the number, the level that you participate at. Certain number of books get you certain benefits as far as you know, speaking engagements, visits with your team, you know, meetings, different things like that. Um, I, speaking of speaking engagements, I will be on the road. Not sure what the dates are yet. I'll probably have a couple dates coming this fall. Um, I know I'll be out in uh, Austin, Texas. If you're in the Austin area uh, next week, I'll be out there. And looking forward to seeing you at some point on the road at a talk or just getting a comment. You know, on social media, I'm pretty active. Most active, you know, I would say Instagram at SunnyD1.0. Hit me up in the DM. You have any questions, any other things you want to share or shed some light on when it comes to the topic of student debt and where you're at in your journey. But really appreciate you guys listening. Thanks for tuning in to the YFYI podcast and look forward to talking to you guys next week. And remember, this is the podcast where you come to learn how to build your business right once or else you will be doomed to have to build it again. Thanks for listening, guys, and I'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm. Talk about cash.